Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your host, Daniel Fisher, and along with me today is the shepherd of Inroad Ministries, Mike Perna. I've always not so secretly wished that I was Shepherd Book. I love Firefly. I knew you would love it. I knew you would. So I'll take it. In fact, one of the coolest one of the coolest moments I ever had at a convention was that I I was it was the Steampunk World's Fair, and I was just sitting there having breakfast, and these two guys were just having a blast. And so I I was started talking with them, and they were asking me like, what do I what do I do? And at the time, I was doing youth ministry and doing outreach and stuff like that. And so I said, yeah, I work at a church. And so for the rest of the of that convention and the year after that, they called me Shepherd. Oh, made great. my made my day. Well, I mean, I'm I'm you know, I love Jane. Jane's my favorite. Of course, Jane's but you know my penchant for firearms. So of course, Jane's your favorite. <laughs> uh, anyway, so how are so you today, Mike? I'm I'm I am. I mean, we are. I think that's that's me as well at the moment. We're just like what day seventy five in lockdown. We're in in day six hundred and twelve of Blurtober. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I literally, literally, the only the only time I realize what day of the week it is is Sunday because I have to know. I know that I have to watch church, and yeah. Wednesday because that's trash day. Every other day of the week, I'm like, wait a minute, what what day is it today? <laughs> you know, when I get back to church, you know what the first thing I'm going to do is? What's that? I'm going to go back to the kids' church, and I'm going to high-five everyone those ladies and bring them breakfast. There you go. I just, I'm, you know, having to deal with a three-year-old while trying to worship in your living room, while your 10-year-old's trying to sleep on the couch, and you keep trying to nudge him awake so he can... Praise God with you. That is something that I've I've been low-key trying to convince my good lady wife because she keeps looking at Noah and she's like, it's time for church. We have to to sit and we have to pay attention to church. I'm like, babe, he, we, we, both of us have been convinced of the fact that he needs to go down to the, the children's area for church. And that's at church here. He has his room. He's got his toys. He got the trampoline my parents just got him. And you want him to sit still and watch a video of our pastor. I don't think this is going to have the appeal that you want it to have for him. I have found something that's going to help me out. Okay. So, as a kid, I had a favorite cartoon on TBN. And I am saying TBN. And that was Superbook. Superbook. They redid it. I know. It's on Amazon Amazon Prime. (laughs) (laughs) Jinx, you owe me a Coke. So anyway, I started watching it with the kids, and they're just enamored. So I'm just like, Sunday morning, go in the playroom, you two, and turn it on and watch Superbook while we do church in here. That's their children's church. I, I didn't come to faith until my late teens. So all that, that you know, early kids Christianity stuff, I never, 
I never got to participate in any of it until after the fact. So I have this weird relationship with all things like Superbook and Adventures in Odyssey, oh, gosh, and, I love Adventures in Odyssey. and Bible Man and all that ah. stuff. I have this weird kind of relationship with that because I came into it and didn't know any of that was even a thing until I was 17. And so... <laughs> what did you ever... I, oh, sorry. It It's... I don't know, man. Like I have a weird. Like, even when we started watching the Superbook one, it it is remade. It's redone. Like I remember seeing the pictures of the the old stuff, and so I know that that this is way. This is, in my opinion, way oh, yeah. improved. But even but even then, it's just a weird kind of animal for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you ever get to the Adventures in Odyssey where they talk about Dungeons and Dragons? Are Are you kidding me? I think we it, talked about that once, didn't it we? It may have been the first Adventures in Odyssey I've listened to the entire way through, and it is glorious. I'll tell you, another one, my my middle child, Andrew, my 10-year-old, he loves, because we like listening to the radio, especially when we go camping, we'll throw something on when we're driving to the campsite, and he loves the Sugar Creek Gang. I know and it's, nothing it's, about that. It's on the Library of Congress's website. You know how they have all the stuff on there. They have literally everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's about these boys in the 1930s called the Sugar Creek Gang, and they're Christian kids, and, you know, they learn life lessons and things like that. He thinks it's amazing. He's like, these kids get to swim in a creek without their parents? <laughs> I'm like, With simpler yeah. times. <laughs> I know. It's like, what happened? I mean, we grew up when we could do stuff like that. But why I can't my kids do it? It's my wife's fault. I know it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I'm experiencing also like like we are definitely of the the mindset of like we don't like we don't want him to watch too much TV because you know one they're they're, they're just finding out all sorts of stuff that like kids who watch TV super young it affects them weirdly. Yeah, but also like. I, I don't have a stigma against TV. Like, I watched a lot of TV as a kid. And it, and as a parent now, I have a whole new appreciation for the fact that my mother used to tell me that the, the only hour of peace she got in a day was the back-to-back rock block of Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. So, like, I totally, like, don't have a problem with him watching TV. Especially because so much of the kid stuff that's that is out there now is educational in not a painful way. Yeah. So, like, yeah, no, I have no problem with that, but I still want to dial it back, but I'm sitting here, and, and she, Susan and I were just like, like, oh, man, I wish he wasn't watching so much TV. We really need to dial that back. And I'm like, what are we going to do with him? He's well, two, and we can't get him to read, like, more than, than a, a tiny, tiny children's book without jumping around like a madman. What are we going to do with him? <laughs> well, okay, so we've always went with the penchant of no screens before they were two, okay? Because there's brain development and lots and all this other crap. Uh, I studied it a while back when Isabel was young. But <clears throat> after that, you know, I just give it to him in spurts. And, um, you know, that that's just the thing. You just got to pick and choose your battles. Oh, yeah. Like, when Isabel was really young, I worked second shift, Jessica worked first shift. So, and I'm a night owl, so I'd stay up to like 4 o'clock in the morning, so I want to sleep late in the morning, so I would turn TV on. Yeah. 
you know, Isabel was up at eight o'clock every morning. So, and, and she's fine. Um, kids will either, no matter if you control how much they watch, um, at another age, they will make the decision on whether or not they're going to stay in front of the screen or they're going to not stay in front of the screen. And then it's just, it's, it's a fight you're going to have with them as they get older. And, I wouldn't worry about too much when they're young after they hit that age of two. Um, but you control what they watch. It's more on the lines of, um, a good analogy is don't let the poop get in the brownies. Right. Um, just, just control what they're watching. And then when they get older, they can start making those decisions. Like Isabel, for instance, loves the office. She can binge it, but she can also go to her room and read books upon hours. Right. Andrew will play Fortnite for hours, but the moment you tell him to get off, he'll walk into his room and grab a book. And right. the boy reads almost as much as his sister does. Well, like the, the perfect example of that for Noah is that uh, his new, like, almost obsession favorite TV show. I'm so thankful that season two just dropped, though. We went. We ran through that in no time at all. Uh, is a show called Hello Ninja. Oh, we love that in our house. Well, I had never known that Hello Ninja the book was a thing. Yeah. And so, of course, as we're watching episode one, it says based on the book, and I'm like, oh, that's a thing. We're going to, and we'll, you know, I just registered that myself, and then all of a sudden, I I told Noah one time, I'm like, hey, bud. Like, did you know there's a, a Hello Ninja book? And he's like, there's a book? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the next time we have an order going that we need to pick some things up, Hello Ninja the book is going yeah. to be one of those things that gets yeah. Well, I mean, Sammy will literally, he'll take a bandana or something and put it around his head and he'll be like, I'm a ninja. Oh, my, and, uh, my favorite thing was that, like, for those of you playing the home game, uh, this this TV series on Netflix that they've got for Hello Ninja. It's these two kids, this little boy, and, and I'm guessing his next door neighbor, and yeah. uh, they pretend to be ninjas. And so it's all like it's one of those things like the kids are pretending to be this, and the show is them like acting out like. But it's really like like the mystical dragon is his grandma and stuff like that. It's it's great. It's really really good. Yeah. But the setup. That kind of like lets you know, okay, we're going into Ninja World to do cool pretend stuff now. Is that he looks into something reflective and says, Hello, Ninja. And then the reflection answers back, Yes, hello. <laughs> and then they, they all the whole magic yeah. transformation thing. My goodness, when he started watching this, my son would, would literally just stand there, pause, and go, Hello, Ninja. Yes, hello. And then he'd just run off. <laughs> At least he's not making pretend Alexa, so he could smack it and go, Alexa, play Baby Shark. Oh, I, I'm, I'm very, 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 very concerned about the day that uh, his speech is clear enough <laughs> that Alexa understands it. <laughs> no, he, Sammy still ain't that clear yet. Today. Yeah, because he always he yells he'll yell out things like Alexa, play this. Yeah, but um, it doesn't uh, register, uh, thankfully. <laughs> but dude, I I think you know now that we're twelve minutes in, I think maybe we should talk about board games. Just maybe we should talk about some some games. I think. Maybe 
this is what quarantine with small children does to us folks. i know i enjoy talking to adults yeah that's, that's <laughs> the thing the mailman doesn't like me anymore because i'm too friendly so our our games played is dramatically small for people being in quarantine it's it's especially fun because after our last episode, we're just like, you can play all this stuff online, and it's like, yeah, you can. Yeah, but we're not. We can't can't pull that off. <laughs> um, there is one thing that I want to bring up, partly because it's what I've been looking at recently, and partly because I'm toying with the idea of producing something like this for the Inroads Plays podcast feed, which has not received anything new on it. In a very long time. But you have to read it in a voice. Well, of course I would. Uh, I've mentioned it before on this show, but it was so long ago that I want to give it kind of the the lead up. Um, There is a solo letter writing role playing game called Quill. Mm -hmm. I picked it up at DriveThruRPG for literally a couple dollars. I think it's free now. He, at the, even at the time, it was suggested donation or suggested yeah. price. But I'm a firm believer of if you consume content created by somebody, if you have the ability to pay them, you should. So I literally tossed him like, I think I tossed him like a fiver or something like that, just to be like, I want to thank you for making this cool thing, but I only have $5. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so whether it's free or whatever... Go check it out on DriveThruRPG. It is still there. And basically what it is, is it gives you a scenario. You are this type of person writing to this type of person. And then every once in a while, there are keywords that is given to you in the scenario. And when you hit one of those keywords, it's an either or scenario. And you roll the die. If you succeed, you get the good option. The good option that makes you a nice person, that makes you care about the person you're writing to, <laughs> like the good option that makes you sound smart. If you fail, you're either a jerk or you're a moron or you're, you know, you're, you're doing a non sequitur that, that has nothing to do with anything other than to make you seem foolish. And you, it's writing a letter and that's all it is. And yes, there is a score at the end of it, but who cares? I'm really tempted. Having done a handful of these and wanting to do a few more, I'm really tempted to gather together a handful of them and do a short-run series on the Inroads Plays podcast feed of just me reading the letters that I write playing the game Quill. (laughs) So basically what I'm saying is if you're, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you think that's good, go to the tavern, comment on this, do what you will, let me know, hit me up only, on Twitter. Only if you play the dwarf expansion. I have the dwarf expansion, of course I do, where you are writing letters as dwarves in the in the middle of a mine. I of course I picked that up. Yeah. Okay. Just make sure. Of course. I mean, you can only do so much, like, what is it, like, early Renaissance Europe, like, or medieval Europe. You can only do that so much before you just get tired. Oh, yeah. 
So I'm like, no, of course I picked up the dwarf expansion. But uh, yeah, so that's basically all I've been able to do as far as gaming. Um, I've been doing a lot of talking about gaming, but I have not actually done any actual gaming. Yeah, well, I've been I've been playing in that wonderful D and D game that I never get to play. <laughs> so I, I'm there. I, I, I know what you're saying. So one day. <laughs> so uh, so what you what you excited about here, Mike? What am I excited you're, about? I heard you're hopped up about some stuff. So am I. You 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 mean our first segment that yeah. that wonderful piece of, of glory that is hype intensifies. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I... For this one, I gotta say, I have absolutely no idea if this game will be any good. It's always hard to judge Kickstarters based on IPs. And this is the only IP game that I've actually ever been interested in outside of, like, two other games. It is the game, it is the movie that gave us the most epic of fight scenes. (laughs) And a phrase. I mean, well, yeah. Put the, put the sunglasses on. Came here to and chew yeah, bubblegum. Chew bubblegum. I'm all out of bubblegum. Uh, that is the movie They Live. And there is a, a board game coming out based on They Live, which, I don't know, there's part of me that doesn't want to go into any more of that because if people know what They Live is about, yeah. They're probably just as excited as I am. And if people don't know... You need to watch the movie. You need to just... you can Even if you just find scenes. I'm going to... T- okay, I'll give you the premise. Okay? I'll give you the premise of the movie they live. You will know instantly if this is, is your thing or if this is the worst idea you've ever heard based on this. Uh... Was he former wrestler at the time? No, or was he, he was, was still a wrestler. He was still Roddy a wrestler. Piper. A popular wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, gets a pair of sunglasses that allows him to see the world for what it is. And the, the weird, twisted alien overlords and their subliminal messages. The lizard people. That, that, that drive us all to obey and consume. I still pretend when I put on a pair of sunglasses that I'm in that movie. The epic, <laughs> the epic grade fight scene that I have to like, like I'm, I promise you, you can find this fight scene on YouTube. Um, if you watch nothing else of They Live, uh, Rowdy Rowdy Piper versus Keith David. Just enjoy, just find that scene and enjoy. But see, this is the thing about this game. I have no idea how they can recreate. All the things I love about They Live. Because all the things I love about They Live are the silly, ridiculous things. <laughs> I think they can do it. We'll like, the actual the actual content of They Live is, is interesting, don't get me wrong. But I, 
I don't know. I don't know if it'll be able to be captured in board game form. You never know. It could. It could. It very well could. The Kickstarter is there. You can check it out. Feel free. Oh, I should also, I didn't, I didn't even put this in my notes. I I was about ready to make a huge faux pas because friends of the show, uh, you know, great supporters of inroads petitioner, uh, to get the inroads approved seal yet was the best rejection I could have given him. Uh, Daniel actually reviewed this game for the site. Um, the best rejection for why we didn't give you the inroad seal of approval is we only do biblical theme games that you can play if you're not interested in the Bible. And when you have a game mode that's basically Bible memorization, you kind of don't qualify. Yeah. But Josh Patton and the wonderful people at the at the company, the Animo company Animo, these yeah. days, uh, they just did a, a cross-trainers version of the game. My goodness. I, I'm going to tell you what. These folks are a testament to how when people get supported and backed and encouraged financially – when they put that stuff into the development of their product. Cause my goodness, Animo's always been good. The yeah. artwork's been cute, very Pokemon, very, you know, happy, you know, the, the mat that he put out, the game mat was really good, really quality. I took a look at the updated artwork and my goodness, like it's exponentially cooler. They've done some streamlining to some stuff. They've changed some things around. If you've ever heard us talk about Animo, you can, again, I'll, I will link uh, Daniel's review. And you can definitely hit up Josh in the, the tavern. He's there. Uh, ask questions. Please check them out. Because they funded in something like 24 to like 30-something hours. They already funded. For for their size, that's really good too. Right, it 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 looks it's good. It's really good. Like I said, the only reason it didn't get the seal of approval is because it is more designed to be encourage your kids to learn their Bible, as opposed to what our seal of approval is. We want you to back these people because it is a good game. Literally, it is the 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 unofficial bylaws of how you get the seal is the only reason it doesn't have it. It's good. So check them out. Daniel, what what is on your hype list? Something I've been waiting for for a while, but I can't get it because of the coronavirus. Isn't it always the way? And there's a reason for that. Okay. First of all, I'll tell you what it is. The newest version of Deadlands, my f- favorite RPG setting ever. And I, I don't say that lightly. So, the newest version is based on the Suede or the Adventurer's Edition of Savage Worlds. Um, the, the actual game itself, they are changing a lot of the backstory. And there's a reason for this. But first of all, you're, where you're currently at in Deadlands, you're now a few more years into the future. 
and all the surveyors are gone. These are the your top bosses of the realms. Hellstrom, you know, stuff like that. Give give before we get in too much into this, just Okay. Because I Lands, know I know there's gonna be some people out here who've never okay. heard of Deadlands before. Just the, the high origi- concept. The original version of Deadlands. During the Civil War, Indians did some voodoo, brought magic and demons into the world and all other sorts of monsters, and a new mineral called Ghost Rock that burns ten times hotter than coal. That allowed steampunk to be created uh, in their world, world mad science is, is what they call it, and everything runs on steam. Uh, the Civil War never ended, and you had um, all the... You know, you're still dealing with the South and the North, and now all this magic. When you die, um, you have to roll to see if you come back as a living dead, and then you have to roll to see if you come back as... Well, this is the first version you rolled. Now it's all card-based. <clears throat> um, come back as, you know, the demon controlling you, or you controlling yourself. So, and that's called uh, Harrowed. Or, uh, yeah, Harrowed. And so, that's the gist of it. The... Next version of Deadlands actually in, introduced these villains that you had to, in the storylines, take out. Um, the newest version, they killed some backstory. They redid some things, but they the villains are, are gone because you all have destroyed them. The thing, and I completely support this now. I've talked to Shane about it. He's the creator. Um, they killed off the fact that the Civil War never ended. The Civil War ended in the new version of Deadlands, and the the North won. Um, the reason he did that was, first of all, Shane's from my area. Civil War's a big thing here. Um, but it alienated a lot of people. And yeah. so, and he knew that. And he was trying to figure out a way to not alienate these people. And, and I don't mean these people. I mean, like, there's a lot of different, diverse groups of people that wouldn't play the game because of that. And and it's not like a money run. He actually felt bad about it. Because at the time that he designed, designed this was in the 90s, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and as we get older, things change in our lives. And we understand this stuff a, a lot better. And so, like, he went in and he's rewritten a lot of the storylines where the you know the, the war was still going on and this new version is going to be started like that and it looks good it looks great oh my gosh if I could afford the big Marshall pack and get all the doohickeys and all that wonderful good stuff and I would I you know at the level I was I would have been able to back it out would have been like the fifty dollar level because I'm I'm broke but um. The thing is, though, I'm not going to be able to back it yet because I'm saving all my spending money because uh, my local game store has been shut down since two weeks before all this happened because um, the owner, his mom, is elderly and he, he takes care of her and he didn't want to get sick. And I'm waiting to a point where we can start going back and I'm spending all my money there because it's my game store. This is the store I've been gaming at since I was 15 years old. And I would hate if it shut down or if they had to struggle or anything like that. So I'm going to put my money there. Um, the Kickstarter funded, so it's going to be there when I'm ready to buy it down the road. But I'm really more concerned with my game store. I've 
I've often said I Deadlands pretty much birthed like a lot of the weird West gaming yeah. that is out in the world right now. And a lot of the Steampunk stuff too. Gaming wise, uh, yeah. 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 And uh I've always wanted to play it, but it it strays into for like it's the kind of thing that I would have awkward conversations with my wife about. Because I what I would hold as something that is pure fiction is just a like a thing that wouldn't bother me. It would bother her. Yeah. And the thing that would bother her is the exact thing that, that really mechanically draws me to the Deadland system. It's the idea that if your character casts spells, for that spell to go off, you are basically pay- playing poker with the devil. It's more of the demons, not the devil. Uh, well, the men- I mean, you're yeah. splitting hairs. Yeah, yeah, I'm splitting hairs. But and, and that's the thing, the hucksters. That's that's their thing. That's right. what you do. That's your spellcasters, and um, those are gamblers. Right. And so, like, you can ultimately, and that's one of the cool things about it is I love wild wild magic systems, and there's nothing more wild than this system. I mean, right. when it comes to it, you know. So like. Me, as a guy who sees that as just a, a storytelling device, like, I'm not literally playing poker with a demon to get magical powers. Like, I get that. But it would make it would make my wife very uncomfortable. And as we've always said on this show since literally day one, it, there are so many different gaming worlds out there that it really isn't worth it. If something makes you or somebody you care about that uncomfortable, it's really not worth it because you can just go and play another game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've always touted Savage Worlds. I love Savage Worlds. It's a great system. They And if you like the whole Victoria steampunk type stuff, they even have a system called Rippers. Yeah. And, and it's the same rule set. You just have to learn one rule set and it's different. And it's, Pretty much, or Ripper's Resurrected. Every time they do a new version, it usually gets a resurrected name. Well, and and I'm a big proponent, if you want to do steampunk gaming, of Victoriana. Yeah. Which is another book that um, is great. Like, the as-written religious system is kind of not a religious system, but it did not take too much of a stretch to homebrew Church of England into that system, which I did. I actually created a, a, a C of E priest. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a real good system. I enjoy it a lot. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, I'm excited about it, but I mean, I'm not going to be able to get it. So it's fine. Um, more than likely I'll, if, if I, it gets to the point where I can get it, I'll probably end up getting it as soon as it comes on fantasy grounds. Cause that's usually where I end up buying my stuff anyway nowadays because nobody wants to play games with me in the real world. All Just right. kidding. <laughs> I think I think it's it's in this particular moment that we move on to our, our next segment. Cause uh, I'm I'm for some reason I'm particularly jonesing about this one. Uh, uh. so I do think that it is time that we look back into uh, into the past, and I think it's time that we do our archive dive. So 
For those of you who are new to the show, the Archive Dive is when we look at a game that is at least one year old. You'd think one year, what's the big deal? But when literally thousands of board games are produced every year, the difference in a year's time, like, unless you're dealing with a title that is completely evergreen, that is over and over and over and over again being reprinted, a game that it, that opens up one year can literally disappear in a one year's time so that no one is talking about it anymore. Well, so, that's also why they become Claytor's editions. Right. So this is why we want to make sure that we take uh, games that are at least one year. This one is older. It's been around for a while. But at least one year. And just bring it up because we know that a lot of people who are finding us are finding us not through the gaming part of this, but through the church part of our connection to this podcast. So we want to make sure that we continue to, to shed some light on some stuff that, that has been around the block a few times, but nobody's talking about it. This one, it took me forever to finally track down and get this. And I don't even have a hard copy of the game. I only have it in PDF, and I have to... There, it, it really took everything in me to not throw the extra couple bucks in there to buy... They have a printed set of the cards for the game. And you can spend money to get the printed set of cards for the game that have everything printed out on the cards. Or you can take a sheet of paper that says, when you draw this on a regular 52-card deck, this is what it means. The game is called The Quiet Year. And I love this crazy, weird, collaborative storytelling mess of a game. <laughs> Have you ever played The Quiet Year, Daniel? No. It's my first time hearing about it. My favorite aspect of The Quiet Year, and I've never fully done it because it really does take buy-in from your players to do it, but I know lots of people have done this, and I long for the day that I can make it happen. The whole concept of The Quiet Year is that there was this epic war, and, and there was this group of people that was, was hounding your people for, for years and years and years, but you finally, the war is finally over and you have one quiet year to basically rebuild your, your city, your community, your whatever. Depending on how you want to build it, you can do whatever you want. But it's, it's an entire storytelling game. So it can go much like every other storytelling game I've ever brought up on this show ever. If you get the wrong people playing it, it can be a nightmare. <laughs> Because this is not the kind of thing that you win. This is not the kind of thing that you metagame. I've, the thing that I've heard people do that I desperately want to do is use this as a setting builder for an RPG campaign. Because you are building a community. The way it works is that you get your bunch of people together and somebody starts off and it's like, oh, I think we're, we, we found ourselves in a forest. And then the next person goes, and in this forest was uh, a logging camp. And this, the next person, this logging camp was in the middle of, the, of this, this valley between two mountains. And, and every person's adding on to it. And the whole time, this cool thing is happening. Every person 
is drawing on a piece of paper what they're talking about. You are making a cooperative piece of art. You are collaborating on this piece of, let's just face it, for most of us, really terribly drawn art. <laughs> where this, this is all coming together. And there's cool stuff that it adds to it. I won't go too much into detail, but it's basically like uh, you start off by saying things like you have one resource that is in abundance, so it's really super easy to get, but then every other resource that you have available is in, in scarcity. And this is all just created by the players. Like the way they suggest it is everybody lists a type of resource that you have access to as a community then as a group, you decide which one is the one that you have in abundance and all the all the rest of them are considered scarce. Like, you have them, but it's hard. And uh, the game is played in a series of weeks. And each week is basically, you pick up a card from this deck of cards and something happens based on that. And so, again, it's, it's round after round of storytelling. Can't buy it. You can't? I'm looking for it. There's no listings. I promise you. It Like I said, it took me a while to find it. I actually ended up finding it on like the designer's webpage. There's the downloads. So. Mm. Alright. I'll have to look at it later. It, looks, it sounds interesting. It sounds like a good game to play with my small group. It is a is a great experience. Again, at the end of it, if you have... like If, if, if quarantine's over, you have this physical thing of... We made this thing together. And it's great. And if you really have people that get into it and get passionate about it, you can have these cool things. Because one mechanic that I will talk about, there, there are very few actual literal mechanics in this game. It is all just, let's talk about stuff. Um, there is an active player who has an action. But again, it's all very much, let's talk about this. Or I'm going to start a project. or And it's all... It's very much up in the air. You can make up whatever. But one of the things that I absolutely love is a mechanic where there are contempt tokens. <laughs> and what it is, is basically, if a decision happened and you are not happy about it, you basically show them, I don't like what you just did by taking a contempt token... <laughs> putting it in front of you now one that's just fun but two you can actually use those contempt tokens as currency to be a, a selfish jerk later on in the game <laughs> like you can be like hey you remember that time you screwed me over before it's gonna come back and bite you here or if if it could also be a very cool moment storytelling wise, because if somebody does something later on in the game that like mends the fences and like fixes the problem, you literally symbolically hand that contempt token back into the pool to say, nah, all right, we're good now. And again, this is the kind of stuff that if you're into a very crunchy, like, how do we do this kind of game? Yeah. This this sounds maddening because you're like, what do you mean I lose my token because somebody was nice to me? But like, it, it if if the idea of these very flexible, very interesting, very let's just call it what it is, fluffy 
Storytelling games are your jam as they are mine. The Quiet Year is amazing. And again, I don't know if you'll be able to find a hard copy of the game, but the PDFs I know are available and they are reasonably cheap. Check it out because yeah. at that point, all it, all it becomes is the only thing you truly need is what's called the Oracle, which is that PDF sheet of when you draw X card from a 52 card deck, it means this. But um, yeah, and then a 52 card deck. So it's it's great. I'm I'm literally I've been spending a significant amount of time trying to figure out how to do this over Zoom. I'm trying to find the right combination of app and uh, voice and and you know maybe run it through OBS or something to try and get a game of the quiet year happening via Zoom because I've just wanted to play it. I've wanted to play it for for ages just because, but then. Our friends at Shut Up and Sit Down decided that they wanted to do a video about it, and it just rekindled my desire to play this game a lot. So <laughs> so I believe that my gushing over the quiet year over, I think it's time to move into what we have dubbed our favorite section of the, the, new, my favorite. the new format, and that is called Tavern Talk. If you are new to us and don't know what Tavern Talk is, our Facebook group is called The Tavern. Uh, it is basically the embodiment of the idea that all role-playing games ever will eventually end up at The Tavern. And uh, we just ask questions of the folks there. Well, no, more like they we ask them to ask us questions. And then we basically just mine them for content because we love them. Before we get into this one... Normally, we try to do about three questions. I want to do an honorable mention because there was a regular, one of our, that's what we call our people in our community, regulars. There was a regular who did work on these questions. Like every question he asked was just awesome. We just didn't have interesting answers for them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, but. The questions were so on point that I so desperately wanted to answer them because they were so good and they should get good answers. I just didn't. I, I, I mold several of them over in my brain and they're just, but Gabe Johnson did work on these questions. Yes. Go to the, the post in the tavern when you're listening to this and find them because they're really interesting. And I hope that some of you folks might have better answers than we did because ours were either boring or we didn't really have one. So please do that. Okay, so let's talk about the questions we actually have. And I think, I think Daniel, the first question that we decided to do, I think you are... It's a loaded question, by the way. You are infinitely more versed in how to answer this question uh, properly. Okay, so this is a three-parter. And I think it came from Matt Piercy, didn't it? Yes. Uh, first one part, what's your favorite set of dice? And that's loaded. And I'm going to be really quick about this because I can talk about this for days. If I'm playing a standard d and I 
go towards plastics such as Roll for Initiative. My current favorite set from Roll for Initiative right now is called Starry Night Diffusion. They're beautiful. Look them up. And John Federkins is in the tavern. He is one of us. Um, he's a tavernite, that is. He's the owner of Roll for uh, uh, Initiative. Um, if I'm DMing, it's going to be the fairest set of dice I have on hand, which is either going to be Game Science or Norse Foundry Precision Aluminums. And uh, if I'm playing Dungeon Car Classics, of course, I have to have standard Dungeon Car Classics dice for that. So, and the only people that make that is my buddy Tom over at Impact Miniatures. <clears throat> yeah. So, so <laughs> basically, if you want a treatise on on dice, like it's really funny to me that to give you a bit of history as to the relationship that I have with Daniel Fisher, <laughs> we got connected, and then. Bef- I had watched this video on how to check if your dice are balanced. I'd watched that video. And I didn't realize that the man I was talking to was also the man who published that video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, it's been in a few different magazines. Daniel well. knows yeah. his stuff about dice. I would answer this question with, I got some pretty ones. <laughs> um. Like everything I do know about dice, I know because <clears throat> Daniel told me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Uh, I will say that in a world where I have infinite monies, uh, Daniel mentioned Norse Foundry and some of the the aluminum and metal dice that they've put out. Uh, at Pax Unplugged, I actually helped my godson pick out a a set of dice that he was going to buy for his brother. So I had to look over. All of the Norse Foundry dice. So tell me how much he spent. I'll tell you what he bought, but not the color. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. Okay. So if he spent a hundred to hundred fifty, he no. got aluminums. No. Was it more than that? No. Okay. So he got um, their standard uh, medals, and he either got the seven piece set or the twelve piece rogue he got, set. He got the seven piece set. Okay. The so standard gaming. The standard gaming. Five dollars. Something like that. Yeah. So. Sorry, it's just, I know their inventory backwards and forwards. Daniel is a dice nerd, and most of you know that, but the few of you who don't, you're finding it out. Um, but no, in a, in a world where of infinite monies, I would have a set of the, Nor- the Norse Foundry dice. I have not infinite monies, and so what I would say is that uh, I have, oddly enough, I bought it from Daniel. Uh, I have a big bag of of holding that's full of dice that Daniel assures me are generally very well balanced. Yeah, I've tasted them. They're fine uh, because they're mostly solid. So, And so those those are my go-to. It's just a mixed bag of craziness. If I do want to play with a set of dice, if I want to be fancy, um, I have a, a, a set of dice that has not been, been checked, probably never will be checked because I don't care enough. Um, but I have this set of steampunk dice that are really pretty to look at, and uh, I enjoy rolling them. Uh, you know, I, I I talk about balance, but if if it gets you to play the game, then just play the game. Exactly. <laughs> um, second one's what's your favorite character to play? And for me, it's rogues, then second rangers. I don't know. Do you have a favorite character class to play? 
a favorite character class. Um, yeah. I have to say that, I mean, I literally patterned my online persona after this. I mean, there's iconography of the ministry that's based off of this. Uh, I really enjoy playing bards. Really? I know. <laughs> um, I really enjoy playing bards a lot. Um, probably the only thing I've played more often than bards are clerics. Um, but really, I don't really have so much a favorite game character to play as much as I really want to play the guy who has the cool story. Yeah. Like I am, I am that guy. The reason I end up liking bars most of the time is not because I'm particularly driven by bard mechanics. It's just I can usually craft the coolest stories around bards. I just like to be able to hide and kill people. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the next part of that one is which disciple would be the most fun to play a game with? And we had an interesting conversation on this beforehand, but um, playing Dead of Winter introduced me to the traitor mechanic, so I'm thinking <laughs> Judas at the moment. And, you know, he still was a disciple, folks. A bad one. But, I mean, it might be kind of interesting to play with him. There are so many ways that I could have answered this. And I decided, as is my want, to go with a more esoteric answer. Because, again, I've, I've patterned myself over, if you're going to study the Bible, study the parts that not everybody else is studying. So, of all the list of the disciples, Simon the Zealot is the one that I would want to play with. Because the concept of a zealot, somebody who is that politically and, and passionately driven, I think would make for some really crazy, really interesting, really tense moments at a table. Not tense in a bad way, but tense in a good way. Yeah. And I I think that would make for a very interesting table experience. Oh, yeah. I can see that. So, question two. What tech-related item or entity do you think is the most useful for playing tabletop games slash RPGs? I'll let you go first on this one. The most is really... I don't know. And... and we did talk about this beforehand. I think Daniel's answer effectively is my answer. But uh, just for the, the sake of, of variety, um, I think that one thing that is useful that uh, won't necessarily be summarized in Daniel's is I would I, I thoroughly enjoy the availability. Like I'm always a guy who wants to hear the clickety clack of dice on a table, but I also know that sometimes, de- based on your location or your availability, sometimes it's hard to have that full set of dice. A dice roller, so you don't have to worry about the potential of like like I on the train out to Pax Unplugged, there were people playing games. They were using a dice roller yeah. on the train. Like that's that's a handy you don't piece lose of your dice. That's a handy piece of tech to have that opens up some places to game that you wouldn't if you needed the dice. Yeah. For me, for let's say board games, I hate reading rules. <laughs> I can't stand it. Um, so I enjoy YouTube getting on there and being able to look at the rules and have somebody explain to me how to play this game. So, any device that can really get to YouTube, 
so I can do that. Um, when it comes to RPGs, uh, of course, I use the tablet to mainly keep all my books on there. But the um, uh, Sirenscape, because I enjoy the mood background music to set set the feeling and things. Like if I want it to be rainy and dark and stuff like that, you know, invoke a little bit of discomfort in people's lives, then I use it through audio. <laughs> There have been so many times I've wanted to use Sirenscape because it is cool when done well. I'm just always that guy who forgets that it's running and all of a sudden it it clicks to the next thing or something or the mood changes and I forget yeah. to change the music. And it just – instead of increasing the the immersion, it just rips everybody out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean it gets – you have to get used to running it. Um, the easiest thing for me to do is I'll – Never run the dungeon stuff because it's really quiet. You run the tavern stuff because it's loud. And, you know, when they're in the talking in the tavern and stuff like that, it actually helps with kids because it makes them have to listen to you when you're talking to them. Mm. Um, that's one bad part about playing with young children is that they don't have a tendency to listen. But if they have to pay attention, they will listen to you. Um, and when you're, like, outside and stuff like that... Um, you can hear that the audio audio a lot better than the quieter stuff, so you know when to change it. So that it's always helped me out. All right, and the last uh, question we have is from our boy TR. Uh, the question is, what older game? And he really kicked it out. He said, "Let's say over twenty five years old that you have never had a chance to play interests you to try." And what about the older game interests you compared to modern games? Okay, I'll go first. There's two for me. Um, the first one is I did so myself downstairs. And I, it's just it was gifted to me last summer, so I hadn't had a chance to get it out. And it's Space Crusader. And the reason why is it's the space version of Hero Quest. <laughs> And it, it's one of the games that helped start, um, or not helped start, but was going in tandem with Warhammer 40,000. Um, and then the other one is, the really is the IP. Um, it's one of my favorite books, and it's Dune. And it was just recently reprinted, so I'm thinking about trying to get a copy of that for my birthday this year. I've never seen the original, but I will tell you what, at bare minimum, the reprint looks pretty. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. the The original version didn't look that great. Um, I think I do have a game that I will tell you um, that was. Oh man, this is the first time I ever did this. Was a print and play that I had to do, and it wasn't a real print and play, but it was. I think it was Day of the Dead. Did you ever see that board game? It came out during the eighties, like after it was Day of the Dead, the one where they were in the mall, the original. I believe so. Yes. Okay, so they did a board game on that, and I literally printed out every piece on my home printer and cut it up just to play that in my house, and I did. Wow. And yeah, because it was no longer in print, and it was very expensive to get. Um, but it wasn't as great as I thought it would, but I love zombies, so... There you go. Yeah. My answer is something that literally 
I can see at conventions a bunch of places. Um, these are the kind of things that, that like people hand down because it's impossible to get this cheap. Like to get the low quality knockoff version is like a hundred plus dollars. And that is a game called Crokinole. What? Crokinole. Have you never heard of Crokinole? No. Crokinole boards are like you can like I said, the cheap ones are like a hundred something plus dollars. The most expensive ones go up to about thousands of dollars. And Crokinole, I think the thing that really gets me is just the passion that I've seen in Crokinole players. Like, it's basically a round wooden board. It's a dexterity game because you are flicking pieces and trying to get them into this little hole in the center of the board. What's what's so hard about this game? Why is it hundreds of dollars? It's mostly because the boards are really, really pretty and polished and handcrafted. And But I've watched people play Crokinole. Um, it does look a lot of fun. Especially if you're playing in this 2v2 kind of team setting where you're like trying to set each other up to get your piece into the position that where it needs to be. Like, I've, I've seen people get really, really passionate. There was one time I was at a wedding and a buddy of mine who I didn't really know was into Crokinole started talking to me about Crokinole and he didn't stop talking to me about Crokinole for about an hour and a half. And it's a game about flicking pieces of wood into us into a, a hole in the middle of a board. Like but he awesome. really, like, really was passionate about it. And I want to play it not only because it does look like a fun time, but because I want to see firsthand what about this game can cause that. He is not an isolated incident. I know lots of people who get very passionate about Crokinole. So like these boards, the cheapest I found one's 178 bucks. That's what and I'm it looks telling very, you. Very, very plain. All right, I'm sending this website to my man Zach. What I'm what I'm telling you is is that that these things are so epic and so much a piece of somebody's life that you can actually buy conversion kits so that when you're not playing your crokinole board, it's a clock that hangs on your wall. No, we're getting one made. I'm doing it right now. Sorry. I got people. <laughs> you got people who do woodworking. Yes. But we we should tell him we should tell him, you know. You you might be be watching the birth of a side side hustle because he's already doing the woodworking kind of as a yeah. side hustle. So yeah, like, this might made. this might be a a uh side business in and of itself, crokinole boards that he starts cranking out. Yeah. Oh, and if it is, I'll, I'll get something made. And if yeah. if it is, if he decides to really start hammering out crokinole boards, we'll let you know. Yeah, of course we will. We'll send our boys. He's, he's actually per- coming out with some pretty good stuff here too. So uh, uh, we we won't. I'll, I'll tell him to post some stuff in the tavern. But the he he's doing a really good job, and he's only been doing it for like two months now. Yeah. So yeah. But uh, yeah, well, no, I want to experience crokinole. But it's well, hard. I, it's hard because, like I said, the cheapest ones are hundreds of dollars. I'm going to do my best to get that in your life, okay? There we go. I'm, I'm going to try my best to get this into your life. I don't know the quality of it, but I am going to try to get this into your life. 
It, so. No matter what the quality is, it's better than the quality that I have now, which is nothing. As long as it works. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I guess that's it for our questions. Yeah. Um, well, and there was there was one we kind of wanted to toss in here. Uh, Dan- I know. Daniel had listed it, but the answer was basically, whenever y'all want. Yeah. Whenever we um, can, whenever we can score across ocean timelines together. Yeah. Well, Matt. I mean, he's still on our timeline too. I mean, he's in our yes, thing. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. But Stephen, you, you know him from the Dungeon Pastors. Uh, you know him from posting gorgeous-looking War uh, Warhammer minis in the tavern recently. Uh, Stephen Taylor. Uh, Stephen is good people. Uh, he, I, as, as often as I bust on Matt for being inroads Canada, I, I have often said that Steven Taylor is inroads UK. So he asked when, when can he be on the show? The answer is whenever we can pull it off. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's what it comes down to because not only because, you know, we love these guys, but we know that you folks will. Yeah, no, we, we want to get Steven and Matt on here. It would, it's just, it's just a matter of like, as it stands, we, we had to bump this recording to the next day after this. And then there, like Daniel and I both had to delay like for one reason or another. And then, so it's, it's hard to get us together, let alone other people. (laughs) Yeah. But we want to. Yeah. And, and we'll even settle for Derek. We'll settle for a Derek. I love you, Derek. I know he listens, so let's give him a hard time. But um, okay, the other, the other dungeon pastor. It is. <laughs> it is to the point where we want to talk about the the stuff that that is not just us rambling on and on about games that we like. Yeah. Um, the stuff where we start talking about uh, faith and life and craziness. Uh, it is the, the last segment of our podcast that we refer to as Coffee and Contemplation. This one got inspired basically by the state of the world more directly than I think any other topic has been <laughs> affected other than the times that we literally, like, back in the day when it was me and Luke, we would, like, call an audible based on what was in the news. But I, other than the, than those, I don't think there has ever been one that is so directly from where go inspired by the time than this one. I wanted to talk about the idea of the myth of certainty. And we'll talk about games... Naturally, we'll do that first, but I did the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because of the fact that as we are in day whatever, depending on where you live in the world, even even in the US, depending on what state you live in, you could be under a different number of day of the quarantine. And everybody just wants the the confidence to be able to say, by this point, this will be over. And it's really hard to do that because we're dealing with something that is so big and yet invisible that it's really hard to be able to put 
that kind of a hard date on it without with that with a level of certainty. And so we wanted to talk about why we love certainty so much in gaming and how it bites us. <laughs> And then kind of reflect on that in, in life and faith, too. Yeah. So the thing that immediately came to mind when when I talked about this, this myth of certainty was that, like, I don't know about the first dungeon you made. But I know about the first dungeon I made. And I know that I've, I've witnessed the first dungeons of a lot of DMs that I've kind of brought up into the gaming world and the, the, the dungeons that they made one. And and I actually did break this down into a couple of you wills and Daniel, Daniel can chime in after with whether he thinks this is accurate or not, but it's been, it has been accurate for me on multiple occasions. You will spend lots of time on rooms and NPCs that they will never see. Ever. You will be convinced that you will lead, leave such brilliantly crafted breadcrumbs that there's no possible way that they will not be able to find where you want them to go. And then watch them go in the exact opposite place that you wanted them to go. And then the last one is, you will stumble the first time they completely blow by everything that you've spent hours upon hours upon hours of crafting following something you made up on the fly. (laughs) Now, Now, Daniel, does that sound like your experience? Yes. And, um, with me though, if you mention an NPC, he better have a side quest that gets you back on the story. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, describing a town, you say that there's a small child at the well getting water. People are going to walk up to that child and start talking to it and try to find out what's going on in his life. I've seen it happen. And if you don't have story for that, to keep them on the quest, then, you know, and everything you do to try to get them back on the quest, they're going to start saying that you're railroading them because they expect an open world. And most RPGs are not considered an open world. Yeah, the the thing that, that drew me into this idea with the whole idea of the myth of certainty, it has a lot to do with the certainty, the, the, the truth that we feel is is certain. It's this idea that um, there's no possible way, given the hints that you've given, given the story that you've given, there's no possible way they could not see this. We've Everybody who's ever DM'd a game ever knows that that's hogwash. That, and of course, they will think of something else. Of, uh, even if you do, even if you telegraph the heck out of the thing, a lot of players will see he's telegraphing that. Let's not do that. Yeah, because they, they don't want to be railroaded. Because they it, know that there's so much more around the corner. 
And so it's that that idea that there cannot be any other reaction than the one I'm building towards. There cannot be any other reception to this other than, oh, I see what you did there. That was really nice. That was really good. The the concept that there is no no room for failure. There is no there is no room for for uh, your being wrong or you wasting time. <laughs> yeah, that that your thing was so well done, and you were so excited about it that of course they will be excited too. The answer to that is not necessarily. <laughs> Especially not your first time. Your first time, you do not know how to build that, how to build a storyline that is that compelling. You only think that it's compelling because you think it's compelling. I mean, there's lots of stories that I wanted to tell, and they didn't come off the way I wanted to tell it, because... I, I I wasn't a good storyteller. Um, I didn't know how to roll with the punches. Yeah, and... the, there was one game I ran, and it was all new players, except for one who you've seen on our YouTube channel. Her name is Alyssa. And at one point, Alyssa, having played in a couple games that I ran, she looked at me, and she says, I'm real curious, now that we've we've run this session, again, mostly brand new players, how quickly did we go off book tonight? And I can just see all the new players lean in, and I go, y'all were off my notes about ten minutes into this three-hour session. Yeah. <laughs> see, and that is why I love having a tablet, because I can, or a computer, man, I can whip something up real quick now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's... It's that idea, like, it. The, the more experienced DMs I've talked to, the more I realize how little, like, they don't not prepare, but it's, it's more along, it becomes more conceptual than, than, like, breakdown. Like, I, yeah. I know very few people who run box text on their, their sessions. Yeah. It all becomes conceptual because that's just easier. It, it is less certain because you don't know where they're going to be. You don't know. You, you, there's so much that you don't know when you plan that way. But it also makes it so that it might actually happen because the certainty of they find this and go this and go. You do have to end up railroading them yeah. to get to that. So, I don't know. It's just the more experienced, the less you care about the certainty. Yeah. Can I put this in a real world perspective though, real quick? Absolutely. Today is February. Or February. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. April 27th. Okay. My plans last weekend was to go camping. I've been planning this camping trip for six months with my scouts. Um, the I was supposed to have an ice cream social tonight with my my den because they've been good I promised them an ice cream party um 
I've got kids that don't know whether or not that they finished the scout year out. But they have. I made sure of it because I always try to get things tied up toward the end. All they get to do is sit around and play games. Um, that's where I was supposed to be at. I was, Saturdays, I was supposed to be on a soccer field with my son. Uh, I'm getting emails from the soccer league that they want the kids playing FIFA this <laughs> season. Because they can't play the spring season. Right. And they don't want wanting to give the money back. But, um, two, they don't want the kids to lose interest in soccer. Right. Nothing we've planned has gone the way it's supposed to. And it kind of reminds me of being a Christian and trying to make plans that are not God's will. Yeah. That yeah. never goes well. No, it doesn't at all. So, I've, 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 and I'm trying not to get off this too much, but the reason why we couldn't, we planned to record last night, and the reason why we couldn't is I was having mental health issues because of all this. Yeah. We can never plan for it. And as much as we want to plan our lives out, it's, it's kind of hard. And especially with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's a, a decided challenge. Yeah. But like, kind of going back, before we get too much into the, the real world, because I, I do Sorry. want to wrap things up with that aspect of it. I do kind of want to bring it back to the, the gaming framework, as it were. And the thing that, that you know that that was the role playing game scenario and that that came to mind instantly but then it didn't take too much of a stretch to think about the idea of why certain people are drawn to the lines of blurred with time as things become way more i don't know mixed as it, you know the, the genres are a lot more blended than they used to be more hybrid gaming but old school like euro games like when you use the term Euro game, those games are often pursued by people who want, I don't want conflict. I want my little board. I want my decisions to build my engine to get my thing going. And you can do nothing. At worst, you can just slow me down. I'm going to do my little thing on yeah. my little board. That is a certainty. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways, like I, I get why people are are drawn to that because it is something that is it's nice. Like it's part of the reason I've been able to get my wife to enjoy some of the games that she's enjoyed because, like the the best example I have is the game Viceroy. It's a wonderful little game. Mentioned it fairly recently. Viceroy. Sue's loved when it was just her and myself because there wasn't too many times when we would bid on the same piece. So it was just, we picked up our piece, we moved on. We played a four-player game of Viceroy, and before long, there were a lot more times when somebody was getting in the way of her plan. Somebody was getting in the way of her build, and suddenly did not have the same enjoyment while the game itself is identical to or four players 
like mechanically. The idea that there was somebody getting in the way of her stuff made her enjoy the game less. And it, it made me think about the times I've seen on so many different forums of so many different games about games being solved. That there is only one strategy. Now, in a way, I think that in in older game design, especially, that there are some games where that is the case, because it's just math. But the way they found out about that way to solve a game took hundreds of hours of playing it over dozens of playthroughs. And even then, it was like a bunch of people all talking about it and all talking about the, the strategies. And even then, a game will, like, guess what? Uh, Eclipse had one of those. There was a certain item, a certain upgrade. You pick up that upgrade, you win. If you're the one who got that upgrade, you win. Guess what? New edition of Eclipse came up. They tweaked it. That's no longer really going to be as, as much of a thing, apparently. Because they, they fix it. <laughs> so even the certainty that folks had isn't certain because the publishers will, will tweak it and put out a new edition and, and fix things. I'm also always intrigued. The best one I can think of as an example for this is uh, a game called Cry Havoc. It's put out by Portal. Now, Cry Havoc is a game that is asymmetric. Each faction has a different way of playing it, and one faction has a different way of basically functioning. So everyone is different, one being incredibly different. And uh, Ignacy Chevacek, the guy who runs Portal, basically got on one of his blogs and was like, I saw a comment from a guy who played the game one time. Said, this class is, this, this, faction is broken i'm never playing this game again and this is an instance where the certainty in a way i want to say the certainty in this aspect is comforting to people because it means i didn't just get whooped that person just played the broken class <laughs> because if you think about it i just said there were four factions and each plays entirely differently this person played one time and declared one of them is perfectly broken. As in, it will always win. Recently, I had this conversation with my buddy Dave, my, my swag Sherpa, and uh, Dave and I have been playing Ashes. I got him into Ashes. We've been playing it over Zoom because it's one of those games that you can play over Zoom. And in, in the early days, when I first started playing with Dave, there was, he said, he said, this guy is broken. There's no way this guy can't win. I will tell you that I've played Dave a number of times now. I have always beaten him because one, that game is really well designed. Go Isaac. But also because a lot of these things that you think are unbeatable, you just haven't had the time to sit down and look at all the angles, look at all the different things. And that is the maddening part of, of all of this is that it really comes down to 
looking at all of the angles. And once you do that, it's hard to be certain about much. So I do want to, to kind of bring it home about the, the broader context of this in that concept of, of we're drawn to certainty because it's comforting in the positive. We want to be able to be like, this sucks right now, but as long as we can get to X date, we'll be fine. So having that, that let's just call it that myth, that, that idea of everything will be fine. If we get to X is comforting. It gives us something to look forward to in, in the concept of that, that guy who said that, you know, uh, cry havoc was broken because he played one time and got destroyed. Certainty is comforting. If, if that one is so obviously overpowered, doesn't it, it takes the sting off of your loss because, Oh, of course that guy just picked the overpowered faction. I didn't lose. He just got the better one. It's never your fault. It's never your fault. But like, but we've, we've all both. I, I would, I'm, I'm incredibly just over, overarching this statement, the really broad brushing it, but I'm pretty confident we've all heard that and said that or something along those lines before. Just the idea that we are striving towards something that isn't any more certain than where we are now, but it's a, it's, it gives us a threshold to cross. <laughs> it gives us a goal to reach. And we've all made the excuse for why our failures and our, our failings are not really our fault. The thing I just want the, 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 the faith aspect of this that I, I, I do find encouraging is the fact that if there is any certainty that isn't a myth, it is the fact that we can find forgiveness and salvation in God. We can't even, when it comes to our faith, we can't even necessarily have any confidence in our health, our safety, because literally the Bible itself says, by the way, follow me and I can't promise you either. Yeah. So the only certainty that we have is Christ's promise of forgiveness. It's really all we need. But we we always want to rely more on ourselves than we do God. Right. We like the myth because the myth gives a lot more answers. Wrong slash incomplete answers. But it gives and, more of them. <laughs> yeah. And and being I'm gonna say this American Christians <clears throat> we are raised with the idea that we control most of everything in our lives and we just gotta pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do what what's right. But when you look outside of America and talk to Christians outside of America, they they a lot of times they live on faith. Yeah. And they might be a little bit better to handle it than we are. Well, and, and even today, I was talking with my in-laws, 
and we were talking about the idea of of opening up things and potentially being susceptible to the virus or keeping things shut and a lot of people who are either employed by small businesses or own small businesses will be shuttered and be wondering where they're going to live slash eat what they're going to eat how they're going to pay for anything that balance we want there to be a certainty we want there to be an obvious answer to that and there isn't because both of those things are very much in play right now i have friends that i know in both those scenarios the scenario that says i'm literally watching friends, loved ones, and coworkers die from this. And another person who comes up and says, if we can't get the doors open, I don't know how my family eats for the rest of the year. Yeah. Both of those things are there and we want there to be a certainty to the answer. Get to this point and we'll be okay. But in both scenarios, Anybody who's given that date has either doubled back on it or has been proven to be dangerous. So, again, the only certainty we have is in God's forgiveness, in Christ's love. These are the only things we have any certainty in. And it's scary because lots of people who are loved by God didn't end well. <laughs> yeah. I just literally, my wife and I, as so many people have been just scanning through what's available on like Amazon prime or Netflix, just because we're like, like, Oh, we just, we're so tired, but we just want to watch something. And we were scanning through and I saw that there was a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I wanted to watch it, but I'm like, Noah's still awake and Noah does not need to know what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, man who was executed at a German concentration camp. Literally, I think it was like months before the Allies went in and, and claimed that that camp. Yeah. Like. That man loved God with a passion that I can't even begin to aspire to. It was so, so strong. And it didn't end well, because the only certainty we have is that that man walked into the into eternity and was told, "Well done." Yeah, that's the only certainty we've got. It is a bit of a bummer ending to this episode, but at the same point. I love it as, as I've grown older and as I've, I've spent more time with God and around people who love God, I've become way more comfortable with mystery and how big God is. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what to say at the moment, but I do have a certainty for you, Mike. Oh yeah. God is the game master, and no matter how the dice falls, the game plays on. And even that wasn't certain because I, I was so confident that you were going to mess it up. <laughs> I 
Have a good one, everybody. (laughs) 